Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Give it a listen. Welcome everyone, I'm Dr. Deborah Radcliffe and today I'm going to help you clean out your junk drawer. Of course, I'm talking about an emotional junk drawer where we store all the pain, fear, anger that shapes us. Who would like to share why they're here? This one didn't have her glasses at the high school auction, thought she was bidding on a home organizer. Oh, what a lucky mistake. In Colombia, we never get to do things like this. The only time that I ever went to a seminar was how to escape the trunk of a car when your hands are tied behind your back. All right, everybody, on your feet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I sort of thought I, this was a sit here and listen yeah. kind of a thing. Or as I call it, marriage. Where's my husband's at? It's good to laugh at what makes us most uncomfortable, but the next three hours will require active participation. Let's clear a little space for ourselves. You said this was a 45-minute talk. So what? I was wrong. What, is there a place that you'd rather be that connecting with your family? You're really asking this question on Football Sunday? All these men here gave up their football today. Thank you, Mitchell, for your sacrifice. Hey, you know what? I'm missing a farmer's market to be here, so... It's perfectly normal to resist opening your emotional junk drawer. Mm. I address that in chapter one. Hey, get a handle on it. Why don't we start with a fun activity to loosen everyone up? I don't care how loose we get. I'm not spilling my guts to some table lamp pretending it's my mother. And I won't ask you to, Jay. That kind of silliness gives therapy a bad name. We are going to play a game called Tiger, Rockstar, Bunny. I got this. Uh, Marry the tiger, kill the bunny. Mm -mm. That's not my game. When I call out tiger, you will become a ferocious tiger. And when I call out rock star, you will be a major rocker. And when I call out bunny, you will be halfway home. Goodbye. Oh, yeah, go ahead. But don't forget that we don't have a prenup. Okay, let's get started. Tiger! Feel ridiculous. I might need booze for this. Oh, me likey that idea. We are not cut out for this. You can't compare yourself to me. I was in Cats. (laughs) No one's comparing themselves to you, Cam. Rockstar! <gasps> Looking good, Phil. I won an air guitar contest in high school. But that got you a lot of air girlfriends. Come on, Jay, loosen up, it's fun! Goodness, hello, Revive. Uh, who loves Modern Family? Anybody? Okay. You're my people. My goodness, uh, I was thinking about this talk and just this is what stood out to me. I'm like, I have to play this clip. So uh, welcome uh, to the second week of the series Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Um, Anyone heard me speak before? here at Revive. Okay, cool. It's so many new people. For me, you're not new. I'm new. Um, my name's Jordan Waskowski Wachter, and I am the student ministry director over at Hope Waukee. And so just yonder a little bit off Hickman. And so uh, I'm, I'm always excited to be able to preach to Revive, um, mainly because like I'm 30, so I'm closer to all of your ages compared to like my students who are like 15 and don't get a lot of my jokes. And so, uh, so I'm really excited to be here tonight talking about a rather intense topic, in my opinion. Um, and so we are diving in tonight to, oh, I always forget to point this. There we go. Two, this is not working. Next one. Here we go. Let me try it again. Yeah, you're going to have to do it. Sorry, production. Um, uh, Icebergs. We're diving into exploring the iceberg. So when when I say iceberg, what do you think about? Yeah, Titanic. I know, me too. 
So it was really between a clip from the movie Titanic or Modern Family, and I thought, you know, we're going to start. That was inappropriate. We're going to start with Modern Family. So, um, but we think of the Titanic, but icebergs, right? We have uh, roughly it's like 10% is above the surface of the water, and then like the rest of the 90% is underneath. And so tonight we're going to identify and explore the iceberg that is our life, uh, because here's the reality of it. Um, we walk around and we show the 10% of ourselves, and then the rest of of us is underneath the surface. And now we get the opportunity to share the rest of us or to not share the rest of us um, with the people that we trust and love. Um, and so we're going to talk about exploring the, idea, exploring the iceberg, but also the healing that can come from um, dealing with emotions that maybe we've been putting um, aside for a really long time. And so that being said, I'm going to try this one more time. Yes, good job, production. Uh, I did it. And so last week, Jamie talked on um, expectations and mind reading, and she said this, and I loved it. Uh, the quality of our relationships reflect the quality of work in our inner world. Woof, right? Um, so, and if you don't understand what that means, basically, how we work on ourselves reflects how we look on the outside as well. And so it's important for us to identify our inner world and understand what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, what's going on in there, so then we can better be people that God are calling us uh, to be. And so naturally, I thought I would start with a story about my car, right? That's just naturally the segue into the next part of the talk, right? Um, but anyway, so I uh, just got a car in September. I'm leasing it. It's very exciting. A uh, nice little Honda Passport. I'm realizing this is way bluer. Mine's a dark gray, but whatever. Uh, this was the picture online. And so I got this new car, and Honda's, like, stepped it up. Um, they have, like, really fancy features and stuff. And so I got, like, a sunroof, and I got automatic seats, and it's really cool. And that's, like, not a brag about my car. Like, I'm just saying this is the facts of what the car has. And so um, it also, like I said, it has automatic seats. And so my husband and I, um, I'm the main driver of this car. Um, and he is, he'll drive it, but pretty much he'll never, like, usually take it unless it's a snow day and he needs to take it or whatever. And so um, when we got this car, we each got a key fob. And I was so excited to set the seats. So they have like a one, driver one, and driver two on the door. Anyone else have that? It's very fancy. Um, and so I set the, set the driver one, because I'm driver one. It's technically my car. So I set it, and then my husband set his, and it was great. And so in the first week, I remember getting into the car, and I was like, oh, yeah, driver one. Okay, yeah. And it automatically set to driver two. And I was so annoyed. I'm like, oh, it must be a faux pas. Whatever. Okay, I'll fix it. Driver one, back to my setting kept happening over and over again, and I started to get super frustrated. This went on for a few days, and I just could not figure out what the actual problem was, and what did I do about it? Did I read the owner's manual? No, I don't even know where it is. Did I, did I ask any Honda person or call anyone about, hey, why would this be? No. Instead, I decided to complain about it. I decided I called my sister, and my sister's like, do you think your car's sexist? Like, you know, driver one needs to be the boy. I'm like, all right, college kid, shh, be quiet. Um, but it was just this funny thing. She didn't actually think that. But I was like starting to get really frustrated. And I started to create these narratives in my head. And I think we kind of talked about mind reading last week, right? Of this, like, oh, Honda's like, yeah, sexist. And then blah, 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 blah. And I was like getting angry. And so one day I got out of my car after being frustrated yet again. And I dropped my keys. And so I picked them up. And I, um, the key fob was upside down. And I read it. And I said, driver two on the key fob. And I was like, oh, so Honda's so smart that they hooked up the key fob. So whatever key fob that it detects is the seat that it goes with. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in that moment, I felt pretty stupid. I'm not going to lie. Very stupid. Because here I spent all this time trying to figure out what was the problem without actually doing any of the work, reading the owner's manual where I would have figured it out right away, or calling Honda and they would have told me right away. I decided to just complain about it and be annoyed and act like a 12-year-old girl about it. Okay? And then I realized, <laughs> this will preach. This will preach, and it's fantastic, and I get to use it tonight. Because I was looking in all the wrong spaces. I was looking in all, all the obvious places of why my problems were happening, why, why my seat wasn't aligning. And what I realized, the key fob represents the, un, un, inside, uh, the below the surface of the iceberg. Because I didn't even think to look at that key fob. That would have solved literally all my problems, not easily, but I would have understood why I went through all that I did. And I know that's like, wow, that's like maybe a stretch to get there. But to me, it totally makes sense in this way of how we view our iceberg tonight. It's like we can be looking in all the wrong places on the surface level because we're afraid to go deeper. And so tonight when we explore the iceberg, I'm going to ask and challenge you to actually think about your iceberg. And there's going to be feelings and there's going to be emotions in your life that you're not maybe going to be ready to talk about. But just know God is calling you in that direction for some healing and some freedom. And so tonight, um, why do we do this? Why are we, why are we talking about this? When we explore the iceberg, it leads us to a greater understanding of who God is and who we are. And so we can say, let's explore the iceberg, but we first have to identify the iceberg. You have to identify what is your iceberg full of? What keeps creating more and more ice as time goes on? Because we can chip away at that, but sometimes we just keep put, putting things more and more underneath instead of letting our, um, ourselves show in the sense that God's calling us into that freedom, like I said. And so we got to identify our iceberg. And ultimately, what is the goal of tonight? The goal that I have for you, and hopefully I'll deliver it, is this. So the ultimate goal is to allow the gospel to transform us from both above and below the iceberg. Because we have to remember that um, God isn't here, didn't come to this earth, didn't die on a cross and get, rise again for the 10% of us, right? For all of us. And so remember that, thank you, remembering that tonight, um, and that's very important because we're going to get really uncomfortable maybe for a second, because it's like absor or, um, becoming aware of things that you've spent a lot of time pushing down. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So you ready? Doesn't that sound exciting? I know. I'm pumped up. I'm pumped up. So I do, I do want to credit majorly. Um, first off, um, what y'all are working through is the Emotionally Healthy Relationships book by Pete. Say his last name. I'm going to call him Pete Z, even though it starts with an S, but I don't care. Uh, Pete Z. Um, and so he's a great workbook that I know this series is based on, but he also has a fantastic book that my small group and I are going through. It's so good. And so all, a lot of these smart quotes are not from me. They're from him. And that's great preaching because, you know, why not? Um, and so I want to start with this. This is what it says in the workbook, and I thought it was so good. If we don't work to become aware of our feelings and actions along with their impact, it is nearly impossible to enter deeply into life experiences of other people. Right? Thanks, Pete. Not me. That's big. And I actually did have to summarize it because he was using a lot of words and it was going a lot of places. So I'm like, I got I to gotta make this a little shorter. But all in all, the idea that we can't enter into like intimate relationships with people until we enter into intimate relationship with ourselves, that's, that's hard because... 
I, I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and so what's the number one thing they want to do? Date people. And they want to date, okay, for who knows what kind of reasons, whatever. We were all in middle school once. Um, but, but they just want to be, like, loved by somebody. And so they put this identity and they put all their stuff in this person that they have a crush on. And to me, it's so heartbreaking because I know I was them, so I can, I can say this because I've been there. But it's so sad to watch because I realize, ooh, like you don't need that. You just need to like spend time with God and know who you are. And that's really what this, is, this, this talk too is all about. Because even as a 30-year-old, I need to be reminded of this often, just as much as a 12-year-old needs to be reminded of it. And so um, tonight, I want you to think about this question. How can you enter into someone else's world when you've not entered into your own? Yeah, I know. So I thought, who's the best example of this? Jesus, right? He came to this world. He came to this world. He entered into our world fully knowing his own world. He knew whose he was so he could be who he was called to be and carry out this mission that saved all of us. And so in John 13, 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And I've read this a lot and I've like soaked in this a lot and every single time I just don't think I give this enough credit because this just shows us how sure Jesus was of who he was. And that changed everything. And so um, remembering John 13 as we're walking in this is Jesus modeled being in, his, being in his own world and aware of him, he wasn't afraid to show his feelings. He flipped some tables. He was aware of a lot of things. He was so emotionally intelligent, so emotionally intelligent. And so he's this perfect model for us as we think about this. And then by him being in his own world, he was able to come into ours. And so um, as we continue on here, um, I want to talk about three truths about emotions. So this is um, from the workbook as well um, that Pete does real well. Um, but we're going to dive into these a little bit more tonight. So three truths about emotions are these. Unprocessed emotions don't die as much as you'd like them to. Uh, healthy community requires that people know themselves. And feelings help us discern God's voice. So let's start off with um, unprocessed emotions don't die. Anyone um, ever been told your emotions like are wrong? Like how you're feeling is not right? Um, think about your whole life. I mean, I, I was at least a few times, like if I was angry, it was like, you shouldn't be angry. Or if I was like sad, it's okay. It's, it could be worse, right? And these weren't from my parents. These are just from other people in my life, whether it was friends, of like, oh, it could be worse. Thanks, Care 101, you don't say that. Um, but okay, um, maybe they're a pastor now, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> unprocessed emotions don't die, but sometimes we want them, well, a lot of the time we want them to so badly, because if we don't process them, they just add to that iceberg. They just add to that big old iceberg underneath the surface. And isn't it so much easier for us to just push them down there, and then we think to ourselves, like, oh, they won't actually affect me. But actually, they do in every aspect of your life, whether you're aware of it or not. And so when we don't process these things, it comes up in different ways. Uh, I, since I work with middle schoolers, I notice when they get frustrated or they uh, are telling me about their parents or something, and they'll say, yeah, and then my parents say, go to my room, and I blew up. And I'm like, okay, 
Let's talk about what happened like days leading up because more than likely something happened whether they made you feel a certain way and you, you kind of exploded on them but it wasn't about what actually happened. Um, and I know that's happened to me with my husband and I. Like definitely some of our fights are like I've been holding other things in. Maybe not even about or have anything to do with him but he'll say like one thing that isn't even that bad. Like what would you like for dinner? Maybe Poncheros and I'll be like What? Ponteros, and it has nothing, like, obviously I'm not mad about his decision for food, um, although that is when we get in the worst fights is when we're hangry, but whatever. Um, but I have these unprocessed emotions that I have to process. And so I want to take a second to put up a list of, of questions, and I want you to see, or ask yourself, which ones do I identify with um, right now in this moment? So what am I so anxious about? What am I angry about? What am I sad about? Why am I so flooded with fear? Why do I avoid certain people? Why do I try to please people? Think just for a few seconds. Yeah. I feel like I identify at some point in the last like month I've identified with every single one of these things. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so when we, ha we have to be able to identify the iceberg, and this is what I mean by that, of identify what is it about this underneath the surface that I need to work on now because it's affecting every aspect of my life. And so whatever resonates with you, um, it could be one, it could be all, it could be none. Um, but there's something there. Think about another question, another feeling you've felt that you know is not of God, um, and, and put that on the list. And so uh, we continue on with, um, in this book, there's a, a quote from a, a book called The Cry of the Soul, and it's about emotions and processing them, and it says this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Ooh, man, that's a lot, right? And it's this idea like I have to be completely vulnerable with God so he can see everything. Like he can see everything anyway, but he's a great God that doesn't force us to show ourselves. He wants us to invite him into our life. And I think that was so cool. Oh my gosh, that make room song. This band, you guys don't even know what you have here. Like, it is so good. So good. And it's about, and I know just from knowing a few of them briefly, like, it's so God, and it's so cool because it's not them, but he's using them so great, and it's awesome. But it's this idea, like, making room for what God's doing. And he wants us to make room for him and for everything to revolve around him because he knows the freedom in that. And so with that, with the emotions, he wants all of us. Like I said, he doesn't want part of us. And so we have to remember that even in the depths of like the darkest parts of our life, he wants that because he can heal that. And like that's not something we can deal with on our own. And so um, continuing on, that second, the second one that I had mentioned, um, healthy community requires that people know themselves. This one was kind of difficult for me to like figure out like an analogy, but I was like, oh, duh, the story. I was like going back and forth with Jamie. I'm like, I don't know if I want to use this one. Do I want to use this story from the Bible? Do I want to use this one? I think I want to use this one. And so we're going to talk about the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman. It was lovely uh, Bible reading earlier. Um, but there's this like huge thing that happens with the woman at the well. 
And this, this is just yet again another example of Jesus just being a perfect example of how we need to live and how um, and what we are called into, which is this truth and this vulnerability. And so um, a little bit of backstory, and um, it was read earlier, but basically Jesus and his disciples are traveling from, um, they're traveling to Galilee and they go through Samaria. And as you heard in the story, uh, disciples kind of go off and, and Jesus is at the well. So really weird because there's a woman at the wall, well, the Samaritan is at the well um, in the middle of the day. Tot, that's not when people go to the well back in the day. Um, that was the dumb time to go to the well. But clearly something's going on emotionally there where she doesn't want to be around people. And Jesus immediately knows this, immediately sees her exactly where she's at and meets her there, but also challenges her. And so I feel like sometimes, a lot of the time we say like God meets us where we're at, and, it, and it's so encouraging, and I love that. But he also challenges us. And that's what he does here with, with the woman at the well. And so uh, let's continue that reading. I'll, it'll be a little crossover, and then we're going to keep going a little further. So uh, John 4. The Samaritan woman said to him, you, and he asked for a drink. I should have told you that. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given, it, given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? So right off the bat, she's confused. She's like, he didn't bring a pail and he doesn't have a rope. So how's he getting this water? And she's talking, he's obviously, we know he's talking about some different kind of water that isn't this physical water, but this eternal water. And he goes on to say this. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Ah, I love that part. Like, it's like, so your biggest problem is having to come back to the well and draw water. Okay, you just wait what Jesus is about to do. Um, he told her, go call your husband and come back. So immediately switches to what does this have to do with anything? I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is your husband, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. It's like, okay, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir, let me distract you. Uh, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's like you, you know you're about to lose an argument, so you completely divert. That's what she's doing here. Woman, can you imagine Jesus? Woman. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how you would have said it, but that's how I imagine it. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in the truth. So many things. I know that was really long, but so many different things that Jesus is doing here. But I love that he's trying to get to the crux of what the actual issue is. Like He's not even asking, like, he, he did kind of ask, like, why are you at the well or whatever? But, like, specifically, he's like, no, I'm going to skip to right to the heart of this. Like, where's your husband? I know where he is. And so Jesus teaches us two really valuable lessons in this moment. He went below the surface level actions. 
and wrestled with bigger life-related questions. And number two, Jesus called her to examine her life beneath the surface of the iceberg and consider her immoral lifestyle as an indication of her thirst for love. If this was the first Bible story you've maybe heard at a church, I think you might think Jesus is a jerk because it's so important not to take biblical truth out of context. And so what we're saying is, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is challenging her and calling her into something because he knows that there's such a greater reward than she can possibly imagine. And it's that freedom that I mentioned earlier. But from just reading that, it's like, wow, he's like, seems like he's forcing her into feeling these certain things right now and she's not ready for it. Nah, he knew. And he knew what she needed most. Just like our God knows what we need way more than we do. We have no idea, actually, maybe what we need, but he knows everything. And so in this moment, he teaches us this valuable lesson of cutting to underneath, underneath the iceberg, the other 90%, like that's where the freedom is when you can face that. Now, is there challenges with that? Is there timing with that? Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here, and if you're in grieving right now, I'm not going to tell you you should get out of grieving and you got to deal with those emotions. Nah. There, the Bible says there is a time and a season for everything. And so remembering that, like if someone, don't, you don't need to, uh, um, no one has to approve of your feelings, okay? They're your feelings. But when you start to get challenged and pulled out of them, like listen and to see where and discern where God is in that because that's really, really important. Speaking of that, feelings uh, help us discern God's voice. What do I mean? Okay, science time! I can't wait! I've never done one of these for Revive. I've just done them for students, so get excited. Um, I know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But uh, First off, before I get into this, um, of course, yet again, Pete with another great quote. He says, one of the greatest obstacles in knowing God is our own lack of self-knowledge. And I think about if, if God, well, God created us, if we don't know ourselves, we don't know how God created us. And so we have to be connected to the Father to know who we are. And I always, I always said this a lot in preaching, so I'm sorry if you've heard it, but we have to know whose we are so we know who we are. And, and that's something Jesus knew when he came to the earth. just what we talked about when he entered into this world. He knew his world, he knew his purpose. And that's the same for you and me. And so we have to know what is of God versus is what of the world or Satan or whatever he's trying to tell us. And so I thought I would use some jars, because why not? Okay, we'll see if I do this right. All right, here's a jar, empty jar. Uh, I want you to think of the great like amazing gifts God gives us. So I give, gave a few examples. So like peace, love, joy, think of the fruits of the spirit, right? Creativity, like these positive things that make this world a better place. Like those are things of God, okay? And so if you think about living water, see where we're going with this, living water, uh, living water. So imagine those words in this jar and you're just filling over this living water with all the amazing things that God is giving and providing for you. So you have this awesome water that then actually overflows, and the idea is then it spreads to everybody else, right? When our cup is full, it pours over to everyone. And so we have these amazing things, and this is like what God created us to be, right? He, he wanted us, we're created in his image, and so we are good because he is good. But what happens is as we start to live life, because we're humans, a lot of things happen, that are not great. We have a lot of emotions and feelings that we have to deal with. And so we start 
to see feelings like this, maybe frustration, sadness, anxiety, depression. Now these emotions are a little bit like, add a lot more, there's plenty more that um, can cause hiccups. Now I wanna be very clear, emotions are not bad things. Anger is a good thing. What do you do with it though? It's about feeling the emotions and doing something. God makes new, uh, sorry, I, I messed up the, I just came, hold on, let me think. God makes good from bad things, right? And so when we have this and we see, okay, I'm sad right now. It's not until you feel trapped in the sadness that it's a bad thing. Because I feel like uh, in my life, when I have been angry, it has prompted me to do something really good with it. Now, not always, not always, but in my more mature life, I've tried to be better about that. Like, I'm angry, what's, understand why I'm angry and what can I do about it that's fruitful, right? And so when we sit in frustration, when we sit and we claim that the anxiety or the depression is our own, which it's not, it's not of God, so it's not of you, we sit in that and we maybe self-pity or we start to feel like, well, I'm just always going to be sad. That's just who I am. That's how God created me. Nope, not true. That's a lie. But we start to be like, ah, okay, I'm just going to sit in that self-pity. I'm going to, I've been uh, sad for 18 years and it's just been stopping me from doing everything I should be doing or being called into what God has called me to do. It's been stunting my growth, okay? And we start to see it's covered by Imagine all those words are covered by this oil. And we know that oil and water don't mix. So I want you to imagine this visualization and know that this is stopping you. So the the anxiety and the depression and the sadness and the stuff that you're stuck in is actually blocking you from being able to enjoy the peace and the joy and all the gifts that God's giving you. And so how do we remove this oil? I think about like when there's an oil spill in the ocean, right? They have to like physically like go and get the oil out of the ocean. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happens here because there's transformation in the waiting period. Waiting, W-A-D-I-G-N-G. That's funny, I didn't plan that, I swear. But there's transformation in every aspect of this. And so when you think about whatever's on this layer for you, it's gonna take you physically scooping it out identifying it, handling it, dealing with it, having the confrontation, talking to God about why do I feel this? Why do I feel this anxiety or this fear or whatever? And scooping it to the side. And then slowly but surely, the oil starts to go away and what's left is the water, the living water that he provides. And now, I'm not, I totally didn't, uh, didn't do this, so this is gonna be Pellegrino. Why not? Let's do it. I didn't plan to put the water in. But then it goes back to just this. Oh, we got some fizz. That's holy water right there. That's exciting. That's so good. I wanted to drink that. But anyway, but then we get back to clear jar. Now, will oil come again? Absolutely. But with God, when we partner with him, identify it, understand it, put it to the side, and it doesn't restrict you anymore. It doesn't stop you from being who God's calling you to be. And so um, in in that, with that, the modern family clip. So at the very beginning, you saw how hesitant the older guy, Jay, was. He's a boomer, and, and nothing against boomers. Nothing against boomers, if you're a boomer. Um, but they weren't always encouraged to share their feelings. It was really like the way we were raised or the way maybe our kids will be raised is very different than what our grandparents and our great-grandparents were raised. And it was very much a brush-it-under-the-rug sort of society for a lot of people. And so Jay is so used to that, that he's so ticked about this time together, as you saw, that finally he hits this breaking point, but 
like God does something with it. I know it's like not a Christian show, but pretend it is. Uh, God does something with this moment for Jay. So take a look. These guys didn't do that crap. These were men. His best friend, Tommy Ryan, lost half a finger at a sheet metal press, waited until his shift ended to go to the hospital. I broke my collarbone in a football game. There was dad up in the stands giving me the old be tough. So I played two more downs before I passed out. My date, Mary Jo Klumsky, left the senior dance with another guy. Broke my heart. 2 a.m. in the kitchen table, my old man's telling me, eat the sandwich and forget about her. Feelings. <laughs> I didn't even cry at his funeral, you believe that? The guy was my whole world. Not a tear. Everybody looking at me like, like I didn't love him. But he knew. Yeah, I don't know, right? Of course he did. <laughs> so you don't get a lot of those moments on Modern Family, but when you do, they're like gold because it's like it hits a different way. And it's this moment where he realized, wow, I can actually like share this. And I think so many of us believe this lie that our stuff is just too much for our friends or our family, but more, the worst lie is that it's too much for God. And so I need you to know this today, that your realness is not too much for God. He created you to know all of you. He knows all the iceberg anyway. Invite him into that. Invite him in to heal that so he can give you freedom in that. And that's my encouragement to you today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just showing up in the ways that we know only you can show up. We pray that you give us the courage to dive under the surface and start chipping away at the iceberg of our life that is holding us back from being who you have created us and called us to be. We know that there are so many distractions in this world. It's so easy to just think, you know, I'll just brush it under the rug and it won't ever come up again, Lord. But we know that you have a greater calling and a greater purpose for our life. And so we ask that in this revive, in this room, and, and from all the people streaming tonight, Lord, that you fill us up with your spirit so it's going to overflow to the point where there's like limited room for that oil, Lord. That we just want to be filled with your living water, that peace and that joy that surpasses all understanding because only you can give it. And so all the stuff that we're dealing with, the real raw emotions, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness or um, anxiousness or fear, we ask that in the name of you, that be gone, Lord. Um, that we know that you um, have a season for everything. And we ask that you are with us in that season. You meet us where we are at, where we are at, but you also challenge us when it's time to come out of it. And so we thank you for that and thank you for your love and just who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts. <laughs>